Hey everyone, welcome to the NPFCC Messages podcast. In our series, God and Sexuality, we're looking at God's heart for His design, how God is the creator of our sexuality, and how His design for it is beautiful and good. We know this is a sensitive topic in our culture today, and it's broader than we can cover in just four messages. So we created a resource page you can check out at npfcc.org slash godandsexuality. This webpage has links to our recommended reading list, as well as a place for you to submit questions that we'll discuss on April 23rd and May 7th after the service. But thanks again for tuning in to this message, and we're praying for you as you absorb it. You know, the story is told about a, uh, about a priest who goes into a bar, this time alone, not with the uh, rabbi or the pastor, right? He just The priest goes into the bar, and um, he, he was on his way driving somewhere, and he, he just had to go to the bathroom really, really bad, right? Because they're people too, right? So uh, he has to go to the bathroom, so he goes running into the bar, and as he runs into the bar, there's all kinds of noise and music and everything, but then all of a sudden, he walks in, everyone turns and looks at him, and the place goes quiet, like, you know, kind of like that, uh-oh, what's he doing here kind of thing, right? And so he kind of makes his way real quickly up to the bar, and he looks at the bartender, and he says, hey, um, I, can I use your restroom? And the bartender looks at him for a minute, and he says, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if that would really be appropriate. And he's thinking, like, what, what, what does that really mean? And he says, well, come on, I, I really got to go. He goes, can, you, can I use your restroom? And the guy goes, well, I don't know. And he goes, well, what's the problem? And he says, well, there, there's, in, there's a statue in there that, that might be kind of offensive uh, to, to a man like you. And he said, you know, it's a statue of this woman, and all that's covering is just so, a, a few fig leaves, Right, and he's like, "Look, look, I'll just look the other way. I gotta, I gotta go." And so he hands him the key, goes to the bathroom, and uh, you know, takes care of everything. And then uh, he comes out, and when he comes out, the whole bar erupts into applause. And then all these people are coming up to him, high fiving him, and he and he's looking about like, "Man, before I came in, it was silent. Now they're just like high fiving me. What in the world's going on?" He goes up to the bartender. And he goes. What, what happened? Like, what, what's the difference? Like, when I came in, everyone was quiet. Now they're high-fiving me. I don't get it. He says, oh, he goes, well, I didn't tell you was that um, the, uh, every time someone lifts one of the fig leaves, the lights in here go out. <laughs> and he says, so now they know that you are one of them, all right? So I tell you that story <laughs> because I can get away with it during this topic, um, and to remind us that all of us, no matter where you are on the faith you know, scale or no matter where you're at, we all have some degree of sexual brokenness issues in our lives surrounding the whole idea of sexuality. We all deal with it. We all struggle with it. And, and that's the reality. That's why we've been doing a series like this. And so today we will wrap up the sermon series on God and sexuality. I know some of you are like, praise God, we're done talking about this. Others of you are like, oh man, I thought we were just getting started. And the reality is the conversation is far from over. Uh, the, the whole idea of this sermon series was to get us thinking about what God has designed for us in this area of our lives and then how we apply that to our lives 
and live out our discipleship as followers of Jesus, and then how we engage the world um, with all of that. And so we want to make sure, um, you know, we, we started out, I want to thank all of you who've been so encouraging um, as we've gone through these series. So many people have just said, hey, I'm so glad we're talking about this. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, man, you're brave and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the reality is I just, like I said in week one, I think it's something that's long overdue. Um, for us, and it's the talk of our culture, so we need to be able to engage. I mean, so many people have communicated um, about the great conversations they're having in life groups, at home, and places like that. And we want those conversations to continue. And like Veronica shared, uh, after the service today, we have a time of discussion um, for those of you who would like to be here. And if you'd like to submit a question, you can still do that as well, just go to the website. You can, you know, if I see you on your phone, I'm just going to assuming you're looking at the Bible or submitting a question today, right? Um, not, uh, not checking your email. So, um, if, if you missed any of the messages, I just want to encourage you to go back and, and catch up with those because it's kind of meant to be a whole body of teaching on this. Um, in week one, we talked about why we needed a series like this. We spoke about how it's because we believe that God is the creator, designer of all things, and that includes sexuality, and he created it for our good. But because of the fallenness of our world, the world loves to take what God created for good and then distort it into something that no longer represents God's good plan. And, and this is why, like in, in every other area of our lives, as followers of Jesus, we must submit to his authority, and to see our sexuality as something that must be informed by being a disciple of Jesus. So it's in that whole area of just being a follower of Jesus that we need to put our sexuality under that and say, okay, I need to learn from the way of Jesus. So week two, we, talked, we, we looked upward. And the whole idea was to see what God has to say about the area of sexuality in his word, and we discovered that God has a lot to say on the topic. Um, some of it is um, offensive to some people. Some of it is certainly offensive to people in our world, but what we realize is this. The truth sometimes is just offensive, and the, the, the Bible continues to offend me on a regular basis because it keeps reminding me that I am a sinner, Saved by God's grace, and without God's grace, I am just utterly doomed, right? I, I, it's like I, I would just continue to make a mess of my life if it weren't for the grace of God. I, I, and, you know, and we learn that God has a design for sexuality, namely that we were all created by God as sexual beings. I believe that God designed, and I believe the Bible teaches that sexuality is to be expressed within the context of a loving covenantal marriage relationship between one man and one woman. I believe that one of the key verses that um, we as followers of Christ have to remember is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, you um, and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Just like if you have your Bible with you, just underline, circle that, like that's, what, you know, you don't belong to yourself. And then um, he goes and he says, you were bought at a high price. So honor God with your body. And so that's what we're seeking to do with this area of sexuality in our lives. Then last week, week three, we looked inward. Okay, in light of God's plan and in light of the truth of God's word, then how am I supposed to live out this sexuality in my lives? We discovered that um, 
that God, again, in his great design, um, we want to make sure that we live that out and that God has guidelines. Whether you're young or old, married or single, God has guidelines that we need to follow if we're going to experience God's very best for our lives, and that includes in our sexuality. Now, today, we're going to turn our attention outward. Okay, today, this is our last week, we, we look outward. How do we, in the light of God's grace and truth, how do we engage others in matters of sexuality? You know, when, with whom, and how do we engage in this ongoing dialogue to help um, with us, with our and others, okay, and how do we keep moving in this area of sex, what we call sexual discipleship, putting all of that under our discipleship with Jesus? You know, and the idea, because there's questions, there's so many questions that pop up, there's so many things that we wrestle with. You know, I know that the hot topic, and, and some people I know wish I would have said more and more and more about, you know, okay, the, you know, what about our culture and the LGBTQ stuff, and how, you know, how do we deal with all these other issues? But the reality is, is we've got to get the sexuality that God's designed for us right first before we dive into all of that. And we need to understand what God says in this broad area. I mean, you know, what, what about things like, you know, living together? What about um, pornography, which we talked about last week? What about the whole, you know, struggles and problems in marriage? What about singleness? What about all these things? We need to make sure that we're understanding how we deal with this before we go and tell the world what they're supposed to do about it. And I think, I mean, now, I mean, before we can appropriately engage others, we have to make sure that our own um, sexual discipleship is healthy. And this happens in the context of an overall healthy discipleship plan where we're following Jesus, which requires taking up our cross daily, following him, as well as being committed to living in community with other believers. So we're not, we're not just on our own to make up all these decisions. Okay, we need, we need community. You know, for those um, who are married, we talked a lot about this last week as a couple, this would mean growing together in our understanding of God's word and understanding the practice of mutual submission and serving our spouses. This would require ongoing conversation in regard to sexual intimacy in your marriage. And there's lots of great resources. I mean, you know, folks, great marriages don't just happen. I mean, when when the divorce rate and when the problems in marriage and abuse and everything else in the church hover about the same as they do in the world, then it's no wonder that they're not looking to us for the answers. I mean, we have to do better at all of this. And let me suggest that you get a hold of some resources if you're, if you're married. Um, you know, we have some in the, in the lobby there. We have this one book called Ten Great Dates. Um, and, and it's a great way to just be talking about you're married. There's a really great book. Um, I told you in week one about a book called uh, Rethinking Sexuality by Dr. Julie Slatter. She has a new book that's out called God, Sex, and Your Marriage. I'd encourage marriage couples, like, get something like this, read through it, and have conversation. We need ongoing conversation on all of this so that we can continue to grow and be healthy. And Together, we need to make sure that we're learning and growing in this area. So I also believe it's vital for us to be in community, right, where, where we're always checking our thoughts and ideas with other believers. And here at MPFCC, um, that means life groups. And um, it, whether you are married or you're single, we simply believe that this is where we grow and learn to live out our faith. 
right? This is, this is where we, we, we kind of struggle with and we, we work through scriptures and we talk about like how do we live this out? And we believe that, that this is a place where, where we grow the best. Um, one way that life groups can help is by you know, planning regular times in your life groups where, where maybe we break up the groups into to men and women so we can talk about sensitive issues and have times of accountability. We can talk about the issues that we are all struggling with in a, in a place that's safe. And we can talk about some of these sensitive topics. You know, if, you have, um, if you have any sexual hurts, like abuse, or hang-ups, or habits like pornography, or something else that we, we've talked about, then I wanna encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. Um, um, it's the best place to be on Friday night, right? And, um, and you can talk to Pastor Juan, or someone else um, at um, Celebrate Recovery, um, because it's a great place for there to be ongoing conversation to help you um, identify, like, okay, these are the actual issues, right? Because some of us think, you know, some of us just struggle with the surfacey issues. Um, what Celebrate Recovery does, it helps you to kind of dig down deep under the surface to say, okay, here's the actual issue that I'm dealing with. Here are the struggles that I need to address in order to live a healthy life. These are the places where I have not allowed Jesus to let his kingdom reign in my life and how I can get this aligned with Jesus so I can be healthy. And that's what it's really all about. And so I, I pray that you'll take advantage of that. Um, if you need further help than that, um, either at CR or we, as pastors, we can help you find um, professional counseling in order to, to you know, in, in order to deal with deeper struggles. I mean, when you think about it, all, all kinds of other areas of our life when something goes wrong, right? I mean, even, even if something breaks down at home, you will go online, you will research, you'll figure things out, you'll get resources, you'll ask for help and all these other things. In the area of sexuality, we just like, we just wing it. We, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't look for help, we don't talk about it, we don't, you know, it's just like nothing, right? And that's why it gets, and, and I, let me tell you, it is, a quick, it is a quick spiral downward unless you're in God's word, unless you're working through it together with people, and that's why this is so important. And, and you know, that's not just a personal thing, it's, it's how do we engage outward with others in the community, in our biblical community, so that we learn and we grow. And, and so we all need accountability. And, and thinking that you can just deal with this on your own is the quickest way to find yourself in a never-ending cycle of frustration and failure. You, you need community to help you deal with some of this. Even if you think it's going good. I, I tell couples all the time, the worst place to be in a marriage is when you, when you just say, eh, it's okay. Like, we're doing okay, right? That, that, that's like a recipe for disaster. That means, that means you really don't know. That, that, or it means, well, it's not really going as good as I'd like it to, but I don't want to say that. It's only in a loving biblical community that we have spaces and places to actually open up and say, you know, things are, things are not going well. Or, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Or, hey, I've got these issues. And we learn to work at it together so that we can help people as they, as they walk through difficulty, um, even in these areas of sexuality in our lives. And if your own discipleship is lagging, folks, work on that before you try to engage somebody else on the topic. I think one of the more, more difficult things and why these 
conversations with, with people who differ in thoughts about, you know, things like the LGBTQ issues and all these other things or living together and all these other things, one of the reasons those, those things get tense so quickly is oftentimes I, I, I look at Christians and go, we don't even, many Christians don't even know what we believe or what the Bible says about these things. And, and we need to dive in and truly understand that and make sure we're healthy in our own life before we engage others. So we want, I want to talk for just a minute, like how do you engage others who are followers, fellow followers of Jesus, okay? In Julie Slattery's book, The Rethinking Sexuality, she says, start with those who are closest to you, right? So again, for, for couples or singles, how do you engage? Like if you're married, how do you engage with your spouse? Or hey, maybe if, if you're you know, in a dating relationship, how, 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 do you, how should you work through things with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or, or how do you work through your singleness? And let me, for wherever you're at, let, let me give you a couple suggestions. Number one, seek guidance, mentoring, and accountability. No matter where you are, you, you could use a good dose of mentoring and accountability. If you want your marriage to grow, like you may think, oh, it's doing good. No, you know what? It, marriages, marriages take work. If you leave them alone for very long, they go bad quick. And, and you have to constantly be working at it, and, and that's why mentoring is so vitally important. You need people, you need to invite an older couple who's, you know, we've got, in fact, I'm gonna do this real quick. How, how many couples do we have in the room today that have mar been married 50 years or more? Because I know there's several of them. Okay, look at all these folks, 50 years plus, right? <laughs> Woo! I mean, that's getting more and more rare, folks. And here's the reality. You find one of those people, and you just say, man, can we, can we take you to coffee? Can we take you to dinner? Can we, just, can we just pick your brain? Can we talk to you and ask you, like, hey, how, how, like, how can we get better? How can we grow better? And then don't avoid issues like sexuality, right? Talk about the issues that you're struggling with. Talk about the things that are going on in your life. I mean, so every married couple needs solid mentoring. If you're dating, okay, if you're, if you're in a dating relationship, and I know this is like the furthest thing from your mind when you're, when you're like dating somebody, but that's really a place where you need mentoring and accountability, right? I mean, because our world is just like full of like, well, you know, you, you wouldn't uh, buy a pair of shoes before you tried them on, right? We know that that's things that the world says, but hey, how, how, do you, how do you act in a dating relationship in appropriate ways? And so I, I would say, man, if you're in a dating relationship, you need mentoring and accountability. You need to surround yourself with people who are going to keep you, you know, focused on how, how do we do this right? How do we do this well? I think a lot of marriages can, can, be, you know, can be started better from the get-go if while the dating relationship is happening, you're having mentoring by, by somebody else. I mean, especially as your uh, dating relationship starts getting more and more serious, right? It's like, okay, how, how, do we, how do we do this in a way? How do I find out for sure if this person is the right person for me, you know? And then trust those people around you. You know, I, I mean, and I'm just, I'm going to speak to a lot of our young people over here, you know, when it comes like to dating relationships, trust parents, trust your siblings, trust people who love you, that if you're in a relationship and they start saying, hey, you might want to rethink this relationship, then like take that seriously. Don't blow that off because you think, oh, I'm in love, right? 
Um, I mean, just you want to trust that. And, that. and again, that's what good relationships are for. That's what mentoring is all about. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that. If you're single, same thing. If you're single, you, you need somebody, another mature believer, um, somebody of the same sex who, will, who you can meet with, talk with, pray with, be encouraged by, that can help carry your burdens, and who you can be accountable to. Because just because you're single, as we've discovered, doesn't mean that sexuality doesn't impact your life. You still need to put that under the discipleship of Jesus Christ. And so we need to engage, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're dating, we, we need to engage with others in the body of Christ, other believers, to help us continue to walk well down that path and be discipled by Jesus. Another place that we need engagement with others, okay, and, and is parents engaging children. Okay, this, this one is huge. I, I, I field a lot of questions by parents who are scared to death right? They're scared to death about the things that are going on and being taught in schools. They're scared to death about, like, how to, how, like, what's going on in my kid's life. They're scared to death about, like, hey, the world is changing. I don't understand it, and what do I do about all this stuff? And, um, and so what parents do, they default to silence. And like we said the first week, that is the worst thing that you can do. This area is absolutely vital to um, to growing, and, and if we as parents neglect this, that it'll be to, to ours and our, especially our kids' detriment. So let me go through a couple of things because I think this is really vitally important. Um, number one, parents, okay, parents in the room. You are the primary discipler of your child. You cannot abdicate that to anybody else. You can't abdicate that to, to, to teachers, to Anybody, I mean, anybody else, you, you can't even abdicate that to David, as much as we love David, right? But David's got, you know, look at all these kids, right? I mean, it's like, you can't just abdicate and go, oh, okay, they'll get it there, right? No, as parents, you are the primary discipler of your child. And I would say this, you are whether you're doing it or not. And if you're not taking the role seriously, you're discipling them. And you're telling them, oh, we don't talk about this. Or, hey, go get your information somewhere else. Okay, we have to take that seriously, folks. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, um, some of my favorite passages in the Bible, it says, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Okay, this is what was called the Shema. The, the um, Jewish people recited this every single morning. And every single evening. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You guys have heard this part before, right? Then he goes on and he says this. These commandments, so, and just let me say, these commandments mean all the other commandments that God has just given all of his people, right? Not just the Ten Commandments, but there was like 369 commandments. There's all these commandments, many of them having to do, we saw the other day, with human sexuality and how we treat this area of our life. And so he's saying, all these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, so we should be thinking about these things and don't skip out on the ones that are hard for you to deal with. And then he says, impress them on your children. Then look at this part. Talk about them. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Then he goes on and says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I mean, he's saying, hey, make sure that these things are constant conversations that you are having with your kids. 
Folks, these commands, have to, we have to get these things implanted on our kids' hearts. Okay? This is so important that we build a biblical foundation for them because you know what? Then when the world starts throwing counterfeit ideas into their, into their lap, they're going to be able to go, wait a minute, that's not, what I, that's not what I learned in the Bible. That's not what I've heard or been taught, right? And it's going to cause them to go, hey, wait a minute, that's not quite right. So parents, you have to take up the mantle of discipling your children, especially in this area of sexuality and God's instruction on it. So the second part to that is you have to beat everyone else to the punch, all right, and this is the hard part for many parents. Um, you have to start really, really early with conversations a, a, about their body. You know, I mean, it, it's, we're reliving this as we're, as we're having grandkids, right? And um, you have to continue, you start so early, parents, talking to them about their bodies, right? And, and you start talking to them about what's appropriate, and you start talking, and always you want to remind them that God created their body, that God created it, that God loves them, that God, you know, he, he, wants them to, he wants them to take care of their bodies and things like that. Those need to be early conversations. Now, here's the other thing. Do not, okay, and this is, let me, i just throw this on the side note, okay? The greatest parenting tip I could ever give anybody is, is this. Don't freak out. Okay, everybody say that with me. Don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out. If you freak out, they will freak out, and when they freak out, then it will cause you to freak out more, okay? Don't freak out. So, and, and so this even goes for things like, because this is a big topic in our world today, don't freak out when your, your little boy, you know, plays with a doll, okay? You know what that means? That there was a doll in the toy box and he decided to play with it. That's what that means. Okay? And don't freak out if your little girl doesn't. Okay? Don't freak out. I mean, I think the worst thing that we could do, and, and I understand because of all the sensitivity in our world today, parents start to freak out. Like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Don't freak out over it. And again, this is where you, you get some other Christian parents around you and say, man, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm struggling with, like what should I do about this? Like, don't freak out. And don't freak out and make decisions, okay? Don't freak out and make decisions that you're not prepared to make, right? Let, just, you know, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, find some help in your biblical community, and then walk together on like, okay, what should I do with this, right? Because in most cases, that's nothing, right? And so make sure, though, in their early years that they understand that God created them, they were created by God, that God created us male and female, that in the early years we want to create a biblical foundation where they know that God loves them. That is the key, and that will hold them well no matter what happens for the rest of their lives. That's the foundation you have to build. Now, as your kids start to enter into school, okay, parents, this is really important. I know there's a lot of conversation about this. You absolutely must, okay? And I'm just like, in my notes, must is ca all capitalized, right? You must engage. You must seek out the curriculum and guidelines for that they'll learn. You, you wanna make sure that you understand everything that they're gonna learn in regard to health and sexuality, okay? Now, during third grade, you will, if you haven't done it by third grade, you're way behind the ball. Okay? If by third grade you have not already started conversations about human reproduction and just the basics of that, you don't have to go into everything, 
okay? Things need to be appropriate. You know why? Because if you don't do it in third grade, the school's going to do it in fourth. And you got to beat them to the punch. They need to hear this stuff from you first. You know why? There's this weird thing in our brains, the way that our brains work. Remember a few months back we talked about, like, you know, winning the battle in our mind? Crazy thing about our brains. The first information in in our brains on any given topic is whether it's right or wrong is seen as authoritative. Okay, that's how our brains work because that was like the first boom, right? It gets seared into our thinking stronger than other things, so you always remember. That's why the first conversations, that's, that's why when the knucklehead kid that I shared with you about in week one, you know, when I was a young kid, showed me a Playboy magazine centerfold and then told me things about sex that I didn't need to know yet, that's why those things are still in my head, okay? Because that was the first I ever heard. So parents, you gotta get there first. And that is absolutely vital. And, and so I know some of you are probably in the room going, oh my gosh, I gotta go home right now, right? Don't go home and get out the whiteboard and everything else, <laughs> okay? Just like, just remember, don't freak out, okay? Don't freak out, just be calm, okay? Um, but you, you really do need to be, you need to beat their friends and neighbors to the punch, right? You need to like, and, and have open conversations. Now, I'm gonna say this next thing, and there will be people who totally disagree with me for different reasons, but I'm gonna say it anyways. As I believe as a parent that we must, and Brenda and I, I mean, we, we tell parents this all the time. Some people look at us funny. Some people are like, thanks for giving us permission. Um, ruthlessly manipulate your children's friendships. Okay? Yeah. Like, ruthlessly, right? I mean, we did. We, we, I mean, we, yeah, here's the thing, folks. We got to remember that all the principles that the Bible throws out there, guess what? They're true, no matter how small they are. A little thing in the Bible that says something like, bad company corrupts good character, okay? That includes your kid, right? And are you, I mean, I don't know where we got this thing that says, oh, well, you know, you just, you, you can't, you just can't, you can't pick your friends. They just, friendships just happen. I'm not telling you to tell your kid to be an obnoxious jerk to other kids. Okay, absolutely not. You need to teach your kid to, to live with compassion, to live loving other kids, even kids who come from different backgrounds and are different than them. We need to, we need to create that for sure in our lives, right? We need them to see everyone around them as people who were created in the image of God and we love them regardless. But when it comes to friendships, when it comes to people who are gonna have like peer influence in our lives, ruthlessly, ruthlessly manipulate your kids' friendships, okay? The way you do this is really actually quite simple. Um, the kids who are good influences on your kids, they get more time. The kids who will not be good influences, they get limited to no time, right? Will your kid get angry with you when you do this? Yes, but you're the grown-up. Deal with it right? Put your parent pants on and just say, this is my role, okay? Doesn't matter if they get upset with you. If you are parenting correctly, by the way, I'm just going to I know this isn't a parenting sermon, but parents, if your kids aren't getting upset with you, you're doing it wrong, okay? Just, let's just be real with that, 
right? Your kids are going to be upset with you, right? Why? Because you are teaching them, okay, how to live and hold lightly the freedoms that God blesses us with, how to live in those freedoms and not to just use that as a carte blanche to do whatever in the world we want. And we have to teach them that there are consequences to every decision. So that, the, any, any more, it just needs to be a parenting sermon, so we'll do that later. Um, but we need to do things like, for instance, um, while we're teaching them to be compassionate, we need to teach them how to choose friends. Um, we, uh, we need to help them have ongoing conversations um, with, with our kids about sexuality and all of those things. We need to set guidelines for dating. I know some of you are like, like, well, you know, my kid came home and they have a boyfriend and a girlfriend or whatever, you know, whatever. Like, well, you didn't set any guidelines for that, did you? Like, set guidelines for it. Um, create a safe place for conversation about all areas of sexuality. Everything from their bodies to relating to others and dating and all those things to um, sexual intercourse and all those things. Those are conversations you have to have with your kids. And for heaven's sake, okay, full court press on monitoring technology, right? Some, again, some of you will push back, but I don't really care, okay? No computers in their bedrooms alone, okay? Just no, that's just like a hard no, right? Um, we were talking about this the other day, you know, what, what happened, I mean, I know, hey, the world has changed, but I don't really care. We, we did homework all sitting around a table, right, where mom could monitor, where somebody was watching. The, the worst, guys, I got to tell you, between midnight and 4 a.m. in a bedroom is not a place where anything good happens on a computer, okay? So you've got to say no, right? It needs to be monitored, Okay? I understand there's probably someone in the room going, well, I work then. You know, okay, you get an exception, okay? But make sure people are monitoring that, okay? So parents, you have to be the primary disciples. You have to beat everyone, including technology, to the punch. Now, next, okay, here's the best thing you could do for your child. Model a Christ-centered, loving, fun, healthy marriage. Your time invested in your marriage according to lots of research, is one of the best things you can do to create healthy ideas of sexuality towards your children, okay? And the ideas that they formulate, right? That's one of the best things you can do. So your investment in your marriage will bless your kids, okay? Now, I know some of you are in, in here are going like, oh man, like mine's struggling, all these things are happening. And, and I understand, again, this is what the body of Christ is about, to walk with you through it, to love you through all those things, and to also give other models of what it looks like, okay, as you're struggling with things. That's why we want to be together as a, as a body of believers. It's so important. And so we want to make sure that we're modeling what healthy marriage looks like. If, if, just imagine, if, if, if the marriages in the church were doing super, super well, man, if, if, if sexuality in the church was, was going super, super well, um, we'd have people knocking down the door to get in this place, okay? But we have to get better at this and better at the conversations. Okay, now I'm going to switch gears. How do we engage others? Okay, we talked about engaging others in, in our faith family, in the church, other believers. Now we're going to switch to how do we engage others um, who are not followers of Jesus, 
okay? In other words, how do we engage the world that, pro- that may very well uh, have different opinions than we do, okay? Um, number one is this, um, prayer. Prayer is absolutely vital. I, I think I, I'm saying it because we misstep so much of the time where we don't see how vital and important prayer is. Um, before you start having conversations with people, pray. I know you're like, oh, you know, you're, you're at work, you're at school, you're somewhere and somebody wants to have a conversation. Like, it's easy to just make a super quick prayer and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your discernment and your direction. Father, help me in, in these conversations and, and take a pause to say, okay, Lord, like, and, and then be willing to say, hey, I don't know, right? I mean, that, that's just super important, but pray, Okay, prayer is vital. Seek God for his wisdom, okay? Number two is this. Build relationships first. Building relationships first is absolutely important. In fact, I love what Julie Slattery says in her book, Rethinking Sexuality. She says this. You do not have a platform to have a conversation about sexuality or someone else's beliefs if you, are not, if you have not first sought to understand their world. Yeah, I'm going to read that again because this is really important. You do not have a platform to have a conversation about sexuality or someone else's beliefs if you have not first sought to understand their world. Jesus did this. Think about it. Jesus took on a human body, right? This is, this is at the core of the incarnation, that Jesus, it tells us, was tempted in every way we were yet did not sin. Jesus came to understand. I mean, you would think, oh, he created the world, he understands us. Yeah, but he came to live it. And because he could live it, he could tell us, okay, this is how we live this life, right? But you don't have a platform to just say anything and everything to people, right? And, and especially to just dump, on, dump your faith on people or dump Bible verses or beat people up with those things. If you have not, I, I mean, there's, that's never a, an okay thing, but you don't even have a platform to have the conversation until you've sought to understand people and the world that they are living in. This is what it means, this is quite honestly what it means to be a missionary, You have to understand who you're talking to before you talk to them. Good missionaries know that, man, you have to go in and you have to live among people and you have to understand how you take the principles of Scripture, the principles um, that, uh, uh, that life with God look like, and then you have to learn how to help them be lived out in the context of that community. And folks, this is where we fail all the time in our culture. Like, we don't understand the things that people are going through. We don't understand the pains and stuff. And so we don't have a platform, right? Some people call this earning the right to be heard, right? But we have to go in with, a, with an understanding and listening spirit to help people. This goes with every area of life. I, I realize that right now, one of the things that, that so many people want to know is like, well, how do I have conversations with people who think differently, maybe people who... Um, who are gay or part of the LGBTQ, you know, um, community and things like that. Like, what do I do with that? Hey, you know what? You go in to understand, to listen, and, and, and seek knowledge, and then ask God to help you in this process. But you have to build the relationship first. Nothing good happens, okay, if it's not done from within the context of building relationship. Then, number three, here's this, is the priority is not to fix them, 
but to bring them to Jesus, okay? This is like super, super important. The, your, the, the, your job is not to, believe me, this is, this is the part where I, I'll just be totally honest with you. I am a fix-it person by nature. Like, if, if something breaks down, I, I'm like, I'm all over it. Like, I'm in my happy place when something goes wrong. I, I, it sounds kind of sick, but right? As Brenda can tell you, man, if a water pipe breaks, if the water heater goes out, if, you know, a door falls off in the kitchen and the cabinets, I'm kind of like in my happy place because you know what? I get to go to the garage and I get my tools and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is what I do. I'm like, I, I like fix stuff, right? You can't do that with people, right? You don't just grab your little toolbox and run over there and start like, you know, doing things, right? Okay, this is what's so important. We are not called to fix them. We're called to bring them to Jesus. Here's one reality that every one of us needs to understand when it comes to this is this. You can't even fix yourself, okay? How many know that's true, okay? Yeah, all of us. You can't even fix yourself, so why do you think you can fix somebody else, right? I desperately need Jesus to do the fixing in my life, right? So that's what they need too. They need Jesus to do the fixing, okay? Not you. Only Jesus can change a heart. Only Jesus can truly help somebody know how to live their life out um, under his direction. Too often, we see people who differ from us as the enemy, and that's where, I think this is the crux of the issue. Okay, we get afraid of what's different, we get afraid of what we don't know, and then we treat other people like the enemy. Okay, we say things like those people. But they are people just like you and me, created in the image of God, and people who, just like us, need forgiveness, healing, and the love of God. And they are not the enemy. They need Jesus. And your life and the way that you engage with people will represent Jesus to them. This is huge, folks. Okay, there, I love this. There's an evangelist guy named J. John. He's hilarious, but I love what he says. He says, there's two pe- reasons that people have not become Christians. Number one, they have not met a Christian, so they haven't met, heard the gospel yet. And number two, they have met a Christian who doesn't live out Christianity the right way. And, and folks, that's, that's huge, okay? I'm, I mean, we, we will represent Jesus. This is why in, in our world today, um, people struggle. I mean, there are a lot of people who may not have the faith that we have, but they immediately, when they hear the word Christian, it, it's like the hair stands up on the back of their head, right? Because they have been accosted, assaulted, abused verbally and everything, every other way by Christians who thought that they could just fix them. They don't, need, they don't need you to fix them, they need Jesus, right? And so we have to love people into relationship with Jesus. And I'll, I'll dive more into that in just a second, okay? But so often all we do is concentrate on the fact that they're different and we concentrate on their sin, right? We have to remember that Romans 5, 8 says this. This applies to all of us in the room. While we were still sinners, 
Okay, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if that's the link to which God would go to win us back, then what's the links to which we should go to help people find Jesus? That, folks, that, that is what is most important. And I love this, um, Pastor Rusty George. Um, I found this quote in a little book that I'm going to talk about in just a little book like I'm going to talk about in a minute. But I love what Rusty George says. He says, while Jesus tells us to let our light shine, it isn't so we can show people how blind they are or how bright we are. It's to show them the way to God. Right? Shining your light doesn't mean like, here, I'm going to just shine my spotlight on your sin. Right? Because you should just be doing that in your life. Okay, we should be showing people how to get to Jesus. That is the primary thing. When we talk about how we have these conversations with people, we want them to come to Jesus. Then fourthly, is speak the truth in love. Okay, um, in, in Ephesians chapter four, verse fifteen, it says, "Instead, speaking the truth in love, okay, we grow and we will grow to become." In every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, right? So if we're becoming like Christ, we learn to speak the truth in love. And we say this a lot, but we need to, we need to work on how we do this. In Colossians 5, uh, 4, 6, it says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone, Okay, so we need to learn this balance, and this is not a new thing, this is in every issue, but in the areas of sexuality and some of the cultural issues of the day, we have to get better at this. How do we balance this idea of truth and love? Because here's what I know. Every single one of us um, lean one way or the other. Very few of us try to get it right down the middle, right? Most of us lean. Most of us are like, oh man, you know, you got, I mean, truth, 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 you got it, you know? And hey, the truth is important, right? But love is just as important. Grace is just as important, right? Again, you can't throw one out to have the other, but we are really bad, and we usually lean one way or the other, and I would say, hey, whichever way you lean, and you know what it is, okay? I believe you know which way you lean. Here's what I would encourage you. The way that you lean you need to be open to and think about, well, how do you balance that a little better, right? No matter where you are. Because if you think, well, I lean this way, but I know I'm right, <laughs> you need help. Okay, you need a little more discipleship from Jesus, right? Because this Jesus had it perfect, right? And again, we won't get it perfect all the time, but we need to keep working at it. Um, uh, Julie Slatter, again, in, in her book, I love it, she says, Love and grace are best shown, okay, demonstrated. The way you live, the way you react and respond to people, the way that you care for people, okay, love and grace are best shown and demonstrated in the way we live our lives. Truth is best spoken, but again, you have to be careful with it, and you need to make sure that you work at the balance. I think Jesus did a great job. I mean, this is a, a, you know, a story that we, we, you hear all the time, but I want you to see it in this way. Like, how did Jesus demonstrate this um, in regard to the story of the woman that was caught in adultery, right? Because obviously there's sexual sin in that story. Well, how did Jesus demonstrate both truth and love, right? Uh, in John 8, 2 through 11, it says this, at dawn, he, being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, 
where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made, their, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger, and when they kept on questioning him, right, they're, so they're pushing Jesus, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and, and, um, and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Do you understand? I mean, look, look at Jesus and how he processed this. Now, one of the things you need to know is this. This is where Jesus radically starts um, uh, something completely new, right? Because under Old Testament law, those Pharisees were absolutely right. The Old Testament law commanded that she be stoned to death, right? But Jesus, okay, Jesus is the lawgiver, and only Jesus is the one who can change this. Jesus, in a sense, said, hey, I'm one-upping the law, <laughs> right? Um, because he can, because he's Jesus. You and I don't have that luxury, but Jesus can do that. And so, you know, and, and so what does Jesus do? Here's what I love about Jesus. He sees through all of the crazy talk and all of the, you know, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to have this discussion where they know they're right and they, they're just trying to get him in trouble. And Jesus isn't having any of that. Jesus doesn't get caught up in all of the crazy talk. Right? And this is what I would say for a lot of us, okay, and people here in this room, is don't get caught up in all the crazy talk. Don't, don't get caught up in all the politicalness of the issues and all that kind of stuff. That does not help you reach people. Okay? It, it, this is not an issue. These are people that we need to really deal with. Okay? And it's important for us to treat it that way. Okay? Now, I understand, yes, you know what? You get to vote, and you get to vote for people and things like that, and you should do that, and we tell you that all the time, and you should know what they believe, and you should know what the issues are, and you should vote. You absolutely should. But when it comes to loving people, you need to set some of those things and your agendas and your issues aside and say, hey, I love, this is what Jesus did. He cut through all of the craziness. And, and, and I love, I mean, Jesus, he just kneels down. He doesn't get all, you know, ugh. he doesn't get all puffed up and like, don't you know who I am? You know, like, I could just stop oxygen flowing and you could all fall down right now. You know, Jesus doesn't get all puffy or whatever else. He, he just, he, I mean, the creator of the universe, he just, he's like, okay. He just diffuses the situation by not engaging in the banter. And he kneels down, and then he, and then he, he's, you know, these guys, and it says they're still coming at him. They're still coming at him, right? And he's just not taking the bait. And then what Jesus does is brilliant. 
is he tells them, hey, first, first you've got to deal with yourself. He says, so any of you who haven't sinned, any of you who deserve a stone thrown at them, right? He's like, if, none of, if you don't have any sin, then you go right ahead. And he just silences the whole, all the noise. And then, and then, you know, he says, you got to examine yourself. And what do they do? Well, they go away and they examine themselves, right? And it's not until Jesus is alone, right? Jesus doesn't confront this lady. He doesn't speak the truth right there in front of everybody so that everybody sees her getting, you know, disciplined by the Savior or whatever else, right? No, he, he looks at this woman and he waits till everyone else is gone and he lovingly looks at her and says, hey, where'd they go? Like, is anybody, is it, has anybody condemned you? And she says, no, and he says, neither do I. And then he speaks truth, okay? He doesn't compromise the truth. He tells her, hey, go and leave your life of sin. After he just demonstrated incredible love to this woman, because if anybody could have thrown a stone, it was Jesus. And he doesn't. And he doesn't condemn. And we need to be so careful about condemning other people in the way that we talk. We need to drop our agendas. We need to drop all the other things. And we need to see people as who they are. Personal agendas will always keep us from loving people well. Okay? And so we'll fear. And so we need to make sure that we're trusting God. Um, I love, um, I've, we have this little book available for the, because I know a lot of people are asking questions about, well, how do I have conversations with even loved ones, kids, or friends, or whoever, who are um, part of the LGBTQT community, um, and there's a little book written by a good friend of mine, Caleb Kaltenbach. Um, he wrote a book called Messy Grace. He came and spoke here while I was away on sabbatical, um, and there's one of the things, I, I, there's some stuff in here that I really do like. And one of the things speaks to this idea of how do we, how do we actually have these conversations about truth and love? And, and here's what he says. He says, um, I believe these conversations are always emotional, but, but can be beneficial if we love them, show respect, share belief, and allow for differences, and then reassure them. Let me, let me show you, he says, how I think such a conversation is best had, right? And then he says this, first, love them. He says, you have to tell them, hey, you know, I care for you. I love you. Then he says, show respect. I believe that your sexuality is important, and I think it's something that you need to work through with God, right? Then share my belief. My biblical belief is that God designed sexual intimacy for an expression in marriage between one man and one woman. Okay, then he says, then allow differences. I understand that you don't have the same biblical belief that I do. But then he says, then reassure them but I know that my belief doesn't cause me to love you less. And he says, notice that in this conversation, you're respecting them, you're standing up for truth, and you're reassuring or reaffirming the relationship, right? Because if you damage the relationship, all is lost, including your friend. So we have to be very, very careful in all of this. Folks, we've got to remember the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
gentleness, self-control, do those things describe your conversations and your attitudes towards people who don't believe like you do? Most of us tend to lean one way or other, but we have to do a, great, a better job at love, loving people but not compromising the truth. Okay? And this is so important. Francis Schaeffer, um, years ago, um, Christian writer, pastor, speaker, he said this, there is nothing more ugly than a Christian orthodoxy without understanding or compassion. And folks, I gotta tell you, with all the other ills in the world today, the thing as a pastor that just hurts my heart as much as anything else is watching there be a Christian orthodoxy oftentimes in our culture that has tried to be lived out without understanding and compassion. And we need to be people of both. You know, to the day, today the debate, and, um, to debate about truth and love is particularly poignant because our culture says that to love others we must embrace and accept everything about them, right? We don't have to embrace or accept certain behaviors, certain things that we know are sin, but we have to embrace people and love them and help them find Jesus. Because Jesus was fully love and fully truth. He ate with sinners, but he didn't partake of their sin. He loved people so much, he loved you and me so much that while you and I were caught in our sin, he died for us. And folks, that, that is the kind of God we serve. That is the kind of Lord that we have. And that is the kind of act, that's the kind of life that he calls us to. You know, let me, let me just close with this one quick illustration too as we kind of close off this series. I heard several pastors use it, and I love this illustration. There, there was a, a guy, his name, a pastor, his name was John LaRue. And um, he... Um, he had gone one night uh, to check out something in a church that was similar to our Celebrate Recovery. It was a recovery group. And he, he went in and he was listening to the people and a guy stood up there and he said, hey, he said, um, you know, last night I was, I was driving home from work and I, um, and I saw a sign on the freeway advertising this, you know, like this gentleman's club place. And he says, and, and when I saw it, it I got tempted and when he said that, there were a couple people in the room that just raised their hands. And, and the, John LaRue, this pastor, goes like, well, that, like, what, are, are people just asking questions? Like, what's going on here? Like, that seems kind of rude to interrupt him while he's, while he's talking. And then the guy said, and, and you know what? It, in fact, it tempted me so bad that it, it said next exit, and so I got off the exit. And a couple more hands went up in the air. And he goes, man, what's going on here? What's with these people? And, and then he says, and then I pulled into the parking lot, and I sat there in my car in the parking lot, like gripping the steering wheel, trying to decide, am I, am I going to go in or not? And, and a couple more people raised their hands. And he's like, this is really strange. Like, what are these people raising their hands for? And then he said, and then you know, and then he said, and then I made a huge mistake, and I walked inside. And he said, and more hands went up in the air. And he continued on in his testimony, and at different times people would raise their hands. And afterwards, John LaRue got up and he asked the pastor of the church, he goes, like, he goes, that was just really strange for me. Like, why, 
why in the middle of this guy talking, of this guy giving his testimony, of this guy pouring out his heart, why were people like raising their hands? That just seemed a little out of place to me. And the pastor said this, he says, oh, he says, around here, he says, we have one motto. And he says, and that's no one struggles alone. He says, every time someone else in the room has had something similar happen in their life, doesn't have to be the exact same situation, but they struggle with making a difficult decision. They struggle with how they're kind of like, you know, maybe even at times failing in their own discipleship, that we raise our hands to demonstrate that, guess what? We're all in this together, and nobody struggles alone. Because, folks, that's what the church is all about. And we have a world that is struggling. We have a world that is a mess. We have a world that struggles with sexuality. I was hoping by now somebody would raise a hand. (laughs) We we have a world that's confused about matters of sexuality. We We have parents who are confused about how to have conversations with their kids. And really, nobody's gonna raise their hand in the room. (laughs) right and that's just the point is we struggle to say yeah me too folks that's what a series like this is all about to help us realize that we're all in this together and there's a world out there that is just hoping we will get our act together and present to them the truth and unashamedly live our lives in such a way that we demonstrate the truth but with great humility and compassion so that people can come to the great lover of their souls, Jesus Christ, who can free them from all the mess that they're struggling with. And we are not going to argue them into changing. We are not going to fix them. It will only happen as we bring people to the foot of the cross because it's there that Jesus gave his life And it's only there that our sins were taken care of. And again, that's why every week we celebrate communion together. You know, we do this every week. People ask me, like, why do we do this every week? And I say, I don't know about you, but man, I need to come face to face every week with the realities that Jesus died for my sins. And remind me that, you know what? There but the grace of God go I right, as I'm working through things with other people. And then I have to remind myself every week that, oh yeah, I blew it, and I'm desperately in need of God's grace. And the world is waiting for us to lavish his love out the way he lavished it on us. So let's together take the bread that represents Jesus' broken body. And the cup that represents Jesus' shed blood. And if you're here today and, and you need to talk with somebody, if, you're, if you just need someone to pray with you, somebody to love on you, um, you know, during, during this closing song, I want to encourage you, you can come forward. I'm going to ask any of our elders or staff that are here to come up, bring, bring spouses with you if they're here. We just want to pray for you. If you need to know Jesus, man, I, I just pray you'll come and talk to us because we want to introduce you to the one who can give you hope and peace. So um, let's, uh, let's pray together and let's, uh, let's stand while we do that today. And if you need prayer, I just invite you to come. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us 
incredible grace, that you love us beyond measure, that God, you continue to work with us, and God, would you help us, help us to live gracefully in this world. But Father, help us to be bearers of the truth. Father, help your truth to exude from who we are, Father, in a way that people will ask how we can live like this so that we can introduce them to the one who gives us life. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.